in our series on Ephesians, right? So today we're going to be reading Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Um, I'm going to read this over us before we kind of dive into everything. So um, if you missed last week, Matt kind of broke down the very first 14 verses of Ephesians, which is actually all one sentence because Paul doesn't know how to use um, pronounce or not pronunciation, but grammar. Yeah, punctuation. Thank you. One of those P words that has to do with English. Um, but he broke that down for us. Today, we're looking at the next section in Ephesians 1. So starting in verse 15, this is what Paul says. He says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that can be invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the, in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet, and he appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And that is Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. And if you've ever been curious about what does Paul pray for the churches that he helped plant, well, there you go. That is literally him writing to the church in Ephesus saying, hey, this is my prayer for you as the church in Ephesus. Like, I am praying these things for you, right? Um, he starts it off by saying, for this reason, which is a really confusing way to start a Sunday series because it's like, what reason are we talking about, right? Well, um, that reason that he's naming is everything Matt talked about last week, but we're going to kind of do a quick recap for it, all right? So um, verses, I guess, like 3 through 14 are kind of Paul's view of the Bible, all right? What happened? The storyline of the Bible. If anybody ever have to look up a book on Cliff Notes in school where you're like, all right, I did not read this thing, but I am not about to tell my teacher. I'm just going to hope I don't get called on, and if I do, I hope it's a section of the Cliff Notes I read because I didn't even finish reading that. That's kind of like, Paul's given a cliff notes of the Bible, right? Um, in the first 14 verses. And so, um, I don't know about you, but his view of the Bible um, may not necessarily coincide or line up with the view of the Bible that you were handed. Or at least the view of the Bible that you were kind of taught growing up in Sunday school. I don't know what you were taught in Sunday school growing up, but my view or the story of the Bible um, kind of went something like this, all right? So, there's God, all right? And then the supporting character in the Bible is me, right? Uh, it's all about my relationship with God. There's this God guy. I need to figure out where I am in relation to this God. The big problem with this is that there's this thing that separated us. Anybody know what that is? Sin. sin. Nailed it. We're killing it. All right. Yep, Sin. So, um, the good news, though, is that um, there's something that has happened that has kind of canceled this out, and that is what? 
What, Jesus, what specifically about Jesus? Yeah, okay. So you got all three. So you got blood and death, which would be the cross, and you got resurrection, which is great. Um, I find that a lot of people, especially kind of in churches like the ones we grew up in, they really focus on the death of Jesus more so than the resurrection. Like it's a lot about like this is why Jesus died. You made Jesus die, right? Talked about his death a lot. And so that's kind of the story of the Bible um, that at least I was told in a nutshell growing up. It's, it's simplistic, sure, but that's the basics of it. Is anybody else similar, at least? If you were like had to describe the Bible in one sentence, it'd be pretty close to that? Cool. Well, um, good news. Um, Paul did not have this story of the Bible, right? Um, Paul is writing the Bible, so his Bible looked a lot different than this, okay? Um, in fact, Paul's Bible did not have the death and resurrection of Jesus, right? Because his Bible was the Old Testament. So does anybody know or think of what the story of the Old Testament is? It's a lot harder to summarize if you grew up in an American Protestant church because we don't spend a lot of time there, right? Um, but to keep you from having to guess or anything like that, I'll kind of go over the brief section of the Old Testament, at least as far as Paul understood it, in my opinion, all right? So you have God, and then rather than me, this is a key distinction, we have humanity, right? So in Genesis, God creates Adam and Eve, right? And he tells them to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth, to spread the blessing of God throughout the earth. Um, There's kind of just one small thing or one small problem with this. Sin does enter in here, okay? So we do have sin still. And now their relationship is severed. And humanity, rather than multiplying and filling the earth with blessing, they multiply and they fill the earth with violence, right? That's one of the things Genesis talks about very early on. And it all kind of comes to this culmination in the Tower of Babel, where God says, since you multiplied and filled the earth with violence and trying to make a name for yourself, I'm going to scatter you so that um, it's kind of an act of mercy and judgment and all kinds of things. But out of humanity, God does something really cool. This is what Matt talked about last week. I had a purple marker, and I don't know where it went. The only other color I have up here is red, and I feel like that's going to give way too much hell vibes. So uh, I don't want to use red. Okay, thank you. Um. (laughs) Thank you. Beautiful. Um, All right. Oh, way better. All right, so um, out of humanity, God chooses a family. This is what we talked about last week. This is what Matt talked about last week. We talk about the word election a lot, right? Um, well, we see this election out of humanity to choose one family. Anybody know who that is? The first guy. Abraham. Yeah, my dude's been paying attention. Nice. We'll say Abe, not Abe Lincoln, all right? Um, but God chooses Abe. Okay, and so now, through Abe, you have Isaac, right, and Jacob, and all the descendants of Israel, and they are the blessed family of God. They are chosen by God, right? But here's the thing, and here's the catch. This was so important last week. The ultimate culmination of the bloodline of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, is what? The pinnacle, what it all points to, leads to. Jesus, that's right. So all of them, through this family that God sought to use to bless the world, we do get Jesus. Um, And the point of Jesus is what? 
That's right. So now we have these two kind of branches, right? You have God working through Abraham, through Israel, choosing them to be his blessed people, right? But you have the rest of humanity. You're like, what, what is going on, God, right? Like all throughout the Old Testament, like what's happening? What's going on? But through the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we get Jesus. And the whole thing that Paul is writing about in the letter to the Ephesians is that he has had an apocalypse, this revelation, this moment where the curtain is pulled back. And the moment where the curtain is pulled back for him is this moment where he says, hey, I have good news. It's been shown to me that in Jesus, all families are blessed. Everyone has access to the Father, not just Jews, Gentiles, right? So now through Jesus... We have this completion of this circle so that everyone has access to the throne room, to the grace, to the mercy of God because of God choosing to work through one family to bring about the blessing and the redemption that he had always intended to bring to the world, okay? So this is Paul's story of the Bible. It's a little bit more nuanced than this one, right? It's a little bit less simplistic, a little bit more going on. But when Paul says, for this reason, this is what he has in mind. Okay, it's for this reason. This is why I thank God because, and another thing, um, Paul uses a word in Greek that just, it warms my heart, all right? I was born in California. I don't necessarily consider myself like super Southern. My wife and I boycotted country music, not because of any political statement. We just thought it was garbage for like 10 years. And now we're kind of back on the train, all right? Um, But Paul uses a bunch of words and all throughout Ephesians, especially early on, and he talks about, we, and then he uses the word you. So when I was a Christian, when I had just become a Christian, every time I read the word you, guess what my brain thought? No, I wish it did. <laughs> but unfortunately, my brain thought me. I read it as Brooks, right? But if I was as smart as Derek, I would have known that the Greek word for you is y'all. <laughs> Seriously, it is like... Uh, I don't know. Matt can correct me in Spanish. Matt, it's probably vosotros, but ustedes, right? You all, y'all. All right. So um, Paul, when he's using the word you in this, in this letter, it's plural, okay? It's not just like me at, my, at home with my Bible reading this, like God has given you. Yes, it is true, but it's not true enough. Do you know what I'm talking about when I say that? Like there are things, especially with this story, where this is true, But this is not true enough to capture and to hold the weight of all that God is trying to do through his people in the world today, okay? So, um, yes, it is me, singular, but it is also y'all, and the y'all that he is talking about all in this letter, it is the Gentiles, okay? So he talks about we were the people of God, we were blessed, we were chosen. Then he says, but y'all have been given access into this family, and when he says y'all, he means Gentiles, okay? So that's like a big important part of this when Paul's talking about his language. So when he says, for this reason, this is what he has in mind, okay? Does that all check out? Does that all make sense for the most part? Yeah? Cool. All right. So um, thank you for letting me at least think that you're interested in this nerdy stuff for today. I really appreciate it. It's fun to do it every now and again. Um, There's another section of this passage that's really, really important to kind of hone in on. And this, you're going to get to see me draw, and you're going to realize why I'm not a drawer, okay? But it's all right. We're going to get through it. So, um, Paul, he talks about something towards the end of this passage. He says, <clears throat> he says, 
Christ from the dead, so he exerted this power when he raised Christ from the dead. He seated him in his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every name that's invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Okay, have any of you talked with your friends who don't go to church who are, or who aren't Christians about not just the age that is, but the age to come recently? It's not like a part of everyday conversation, right? It's kind of one of those things that I think that we take for granted that we're all kind of operating under the same like page when we talk about this stuff, but it's actually like kind of interesting and cool. Um, but for me, um, I talk to a lot of people who like aren't in church all the time, and so I try to just stay away from the churchy words because I'm like, this is just more trouble than it's worth to talk about. It's gonna, they're going to think I'm like a Martian because I like, believe in like crazy stuff, but it's actually really cool. So um, Paul's view of the Bible, we got that whole thing, Right. Well, part of that also has to do with, whoops, that was not supposed to be two circles. Um, I'm not a drawer. I told you. I did warn y'all. So we have this age. Does anybody know anything about this age in Paul's view? When Paul's writing his letter, what this means, what's indicative, what this is indicative of? Evil? Uh, y'all. y'all? Nice. You just want to say y'all. It's a fun word to say. Keep using it. Today. Okay, yeah. We are in this age. So we'll say today. Anything else? What are characteristics of this age? Violence. We do have violence, don't we? We just lived through the bloodiest century in the history of humanity. I know. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I know it's a big deal. Anything else? Chaos, yes. Illness? Did I hear? Am I hearing things or did I hear that? Okay, sweet. Anything else? Sin. Sin, nailed it. You're on a roll today. All right. These are all things that are characteristic of this age in Paul's worldview, okay? This is really, really important. He views this age to be the age that is associated with what happened when sin ushered things into the world, all right? So the reason that this age is important is because this age is directly contrasted with something else. We help know what this age is by what it's not in comparison to the coming age, right? So the coming age, does anybody know? what that is indicative of or what characteristics are about that. Yep. Restoration. Good one. Good R word. These are all going to be R words. I'll just go ahead and name the big R words. Redemption. Yep. Any other R words? Resurrection. Bam. Wow. All right. You're lucky we're not Baptists. We'd have to stop at three. Anything else? Peace. Peace. Beautiful. All right. So this is the coming age. It is inherently not this age, right? (coughs) So um, this is kind of Paul's view is that we are headed towards that, right? That sin... Evil. This, all of this, so this is what's important. 
This age is not just bad or filled with these things because it's just arbitrarily bad or evil. It is this way because what happened in the garden, um, whether literally or figuratively, when sin entered the world, this age became subject to the authority of what Paul believes are powers and principalities, okay? Spiritual beings, entities that have influence to usher in these things, all right? It's not just arbitrarily bad because it, it, it needs to be bad, right? <clears throat> the coming age, these things will have no power. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross and submitting to their power, he has conquered them by, by resurrecting from death. And thus, being able to usher in an age where we will no longer have those things, right? Here's the crazy thing about what Paul teaches, and he actually believes this. He believes that this age is actually overlapped with the age to come. That the age to come is actually coming into our present moment. So while this age is today, the coming age is also today in Paul's worldview, right? And this happened in a very distinct moment. It's called the cross, right? So the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, it dragged the coming age into this age so that we now have access to the things of the coming age, okay? And then there will be a day where we are not just living in an overlap where we are having to experience both, but this circle will fully come into the past circle, and all we will know is this. And that, I drew this in the Ephesians class. You're not going to be able to tell it. Those are wings. I don't know how else to draw Jesus coming back, okay? I don't even know why that was a symbol I drew for it. It just seemed right, all right? But when Jesus comes back, however that looks like, the coming age will be dragged back, and the redemption, restoration, reconciliation, the peace, all of that will be all that we know, okay? The thing is, is that Jesus, regardless of what age we are in, Paul says Jesus, because of his resurrection from the dead, he has been seated above all of these powers. He has power over all of it. All right? He is Lord over all of it. And so that's something that's very, very important to know about <clears throat> the way Paul views the world, the way Paul views things and how they work, because it helps inform us and teach us why he prayed for the things he prayed for, okay? So, that being said, let's look at the three things that Paul prayed for. Or some of, there's more than three probably, but these are three I wanted to look at. First off, Paul wanted the church in Ephesians to live empowered by the selfless love that characterizes the Trinity, all right? Uh, the Trinity, right? We have three persons, but they're all one. Ask me to explain it, I'll probably commit heresy, okay? Not on purpose, just because it's that hard to explain. It doesn't make sense. But all three persons, equally God, equally distinct. It's a mystery that we can't even comprehend or even put to good use. Like, if you think of an analogy, I guarantee it's some heresy, all right? But it's okay, because it's well-intentioned. But um, <clears throat> what Paul says is that the Trinity, they are the clearest definition. I got you. Thank you, though. Mm -mm. I'm prepared. Thank you, though. Um, Paul says that the Trinity, that their willingness 
to lay down their interests and submit to and yield to and honor each other is our model for love in the Christian life, all right? There are three distinct persons, and yet they are one, constantly trying to outdo each other and showing each other honor. In this prayer, in the very beginning, he says that he has not stopped giving thanks for us, remembering us in his prayers. He asks that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's a big statement, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation. So if you hear people say the Trinity is not in the Bible, technically it's not, but he kind of just did it right there, right? Um, God of our Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, give us a spirit of wisdom, right? So the Trinity, Paul says, is our, our example for how to interact with each other. They're, it's called um, mutually self-giving love is what, how people talk about the Trinity, okay? So <clears throat> that's kind of Paul's first point with that. The second one, he prays that they will continually have apocalypses. As I mentioned earlier, an apocalypse is not like a giant meteor crashing into the earth. It, it, that may be the apocalypse. I don't know. But uh, an apocalypse is like the end of the movie The Wizard of Oz, where the curtains pulled back and you see that like, oh, this thing isn't actually what I thought it was. It literally means to uncover or to unveil. All right? And so um, he prays that we would have our minds continually like having these apocalyptic moments where God's true nature and beauty and goodness is always revealed to us in deeper and deeper ways. I don't know if you've had any of those recently, um, but I remember like uh, there's nothing like the first year that you're a Christian. Um, the first summer after I had become a Christian, I went home and like, <clears throat> not because of anything bad necessarily, but all my friends wanted to do different stuff than I was now doing. And so I spent the whole summer just like watching YouTube sermons and reading the book of Romans. I don't know why, but that's what I did. Uh, but I had never read the book of Romans before. And if you've never read a book of the Bible before and you're reading it for the first time, and like the first time you read, like there is nothing that can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ for someone who like, anytime I got in trouble, my mom's punishment was to send me to a boarding school, right? Like she was like, I'm gonna send you to a boarding school and you're gonna be cut off from the family. And so I read Paul say like, there is nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. And I'm like, oh my gosh, there is a love that supersedes my ability to screw this thing up. And like when that, when you read that for the first time, that is an apocalypse because like there is something that is unveiled before your eyes that like you didn't know your heart and soul needed, but I just needed to hear, right? Like you needed that in your life. And so Paul prays for them. He says, I pray that you would continually have this apocalypse, that the spirit of wisdom would continue to reveal to you who Jesus is. The more we know, unfortunately, one of the things that's like difficult about knowledge is the difficult these moments are, the more difficult these moments become. So we just have information we're building on. And I can only read that passage in Romans for the first time once, Right? After that, it is a process of gradually learning to believe it more and more and seeking for ways where it can be like applicable more and more in our lives and in our hearts and praying that God, through his spirit, would help us see it for how beautiful it is. One of the things about living in Chattanooga is like, it's amazing, but man, like I take it for granted so often. And then I go to Florida to visit my mom for a week and I'm like, this place is ugly. <laughs> like, the beach is cool. But if you're not at the beach, it's like palm trees and stucco strip malls, right? And you're just like, man, I've, like, the, like the eyes of my heart and my soul, they just don't even notice everything around me anymore. 
I'm so inundated with it that like it has lost its like splendor. And so Paul's prayer is that they would never have that with God. That the beauty and the goodness of God would continually make himself known for like the goodness and the beauty of who God is to them. And their hearts would continue to grow in knowledge and in love. <clears throat> Actually, this is a free uh, plug for book club, if you're not in book club. Um, I had a moment like this this week in book club. Um, this is C.S. Lewis. He's talking about repentance. And I had never thought about this before. I don't know if you think about repentance a lot. Um, I don't think about it that much. Uh, it's as far as like on a meta level. But this is what C.S. Lewis says. It's so cool. He says, now, if we had not fallen, that would all be plain sailing. But unfortunately, we now need God's help in order to do something which God, in his own nature, never does at all. All right, so think about that. Because we have sinned, we need to repent. The issue is we need God's help to repent because we actually love um, and like our souls like turning away from God, okay? So now we need God's help to do the one thing that God doesn't do, right? Um, he says... Um, to be the one thing that's not in God's nature, he never does it all. He says, oh, to surrender, to suffer, to submit, to die. Nothing in God's nature corresponds to this process at all. So that the one road for which we now need God's leadership most of all is a road God in his own nature has never walked. All right? God can share only what he has. This thing in his own nature he has not. All right? So God can only share what he has. He does not have a fundamental need to be like, I am sorry, I screwed up, I'm going to change my behavior. That's just outside of who God is, right? But supposing God became a man, suppose our human nature, which can suffer and die, was amalgamated with God's nature in one person, then that person could help us. He could surrender his will and suffer and die because he was man. And he could do it perfectly because he was God. You and I can go through this process only if God does it in us. But God can do it only if he becomes man. Our attempts at this dying will succeed only if we men and women share in God's dying, just as our thinking can succeed only because it is a drop out of the ocean of his intelligence. But we cannot share God's dying unless God dies. And he cannot die except by being a man. That is the sense in which he pays our debt and suffers for us what he himself did not need to suffer at all. Like, I love that selflessness that said, I'm going to do this because you need me to show you how to do this, not because I need it for anything in and of myself. Like, that is an apocalypse where you're like, God, you are so unmeritedly kind and good towards me. Who must you be, right? Right? So, Paul prays that. <clears throat> and I just want to say, this doesn't mean you have to learn a bunch of new stuff or, like, go to seminary. Sometimes when I hear of, like, I need to have apocalypses, I'm like, okay, I need to read every theology book. I need to... It's not that. Like, yes, that's great, and that's beautiful thinking in theology. But so much more so than that, it is, like, letting the truth of that sink deep into my soul and meditating on it and reflecting on it. If you want to read one verse the entire summer and meditate on it, do that. <laughs> Right? It is not having to just acquire more. <clears throat> and the third thing that Paul prays for is that they would walk in the power that is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. 
Like, if you are here, you are part of the church of Jesus Christ in which Paul says, you have access to the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. I've been thinking about power only a little bit. Like, um, when my mom came into town, she saw my car and was like, if you have a grandkid, my grandkid will not ride in that car. Um, And so she was like, you need to get a new car. And so she's been trying to push us to get this new car, and it's this whole complicated thing. Anyways, we test drove a car. Um, So I have a car that, like, barely makes it up Signal Mountain, okay? Like, it is like, I'm going like 20 going up this this thing, and I'm like flooring it, right? Um, And we test drove a car, and um, I don't know if you've felt the difference in power of, like, a V6 versus, like, a I may have one cylinder left on my engine. Um, when you have access to that, it is, like, exhilarating, right? You are, like, usually, like, one little step of the, of the pedal, and you're just, like, right? And this is driving a midsize SUV, okay? It's not like I'm, like, driving, like, some Jaguar or something. Um, but there is something about power that is just, like, um, exhilarating. It feels good. And it's not like we just all need to go out and, like, get power for power's sake. No, no, no. What Paul is saying is that we, as the gathered church of Jesus Christ, we have the power to bring the coming age further into this age because of what Jesus has done, that we together have access to that. Like, I don't know if you believe that. That's one of the hardest things for me to believe, is that, like, God working through me is actually going to do anything in and of this world, because I feel so powerless so often. But Paul says... I have access to the same power that raised him from the dead. I don't know about you, but it seems to require a lot of power to make a dead person not dead anymore, right? And I'm over here like, I don't really know if I should ask this person about like if they're thinking about coming to church again, they might think it's awkward, like, right? And Paul's like, you have access to power that is just like more than you can fathom. You, as the church together, I am working in and through you to do things. Like when it looks like Everyone is like turning their back on Christianity or Christianity is a thing of the past. Like the people don't want to hear anything that we have to share with them. Paul says like you are my power in and through the world to bring dead people to life. Like that is what the church is for. To do that, to encourage each other into that. And it's not just power that is like a one time like miraculous thing. It is that, yes, But so much more so than that, it is the power to follow in the same direction for a long time and to break addictions, to break sin patterns, to completely step into being the types of people that we have dreamed of being. Like the good, beautiful, holy people of God that we told ourselves we were going to be 10 years ago and then 10 years passed and we look in the mirror and we're like, I'm still struggling. I'm still not this that I was. Paul says that the power of like the Holy Spirit is in us to move us further in that direction if we will only access it. So, with all that being said, um, we're going to take some time to go to communion and just kind of talk about it a little bit, all right? Um, So if you want to grab communion and sit at your chairs, you can do that. If you want to go to a table, you can do that. But um, that is what Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus. I think it has implications for us today. I really, really do, okay? I think that God is not done. Like God is playing a part in bringing the coming age. If I have a painted nail, okay, I just saw it while I was talking, and I was like, they've probably been seeing this the entire time. Um, <clears throat> you can thank Brooke Fowler for that. She did it at Coffee Club on Wednesday. She just really wanted my nail to match my shirt I was wearing. 
And she asked if she could paint it, all right? Um, so if you're like, why does Brooks have a painted nail? That's why. Anyways, um, <laughs> I literally, like, I was like, man, this is going to be really awkward if someone sees this and that's all they can think about. Um, we, as a church who are here with a guy who's, like, talking with a painted nail for some reason, like, we're a church the size of two community groups in this room right now, right? Um, but I believe that, like, God wants to empower us with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead to actually play a part in making this more into the coming or more into the present age in Chattanooga. Like, I believe that. I think that, like, it doesn't matter, like, what our limits are, what we're, like, our shortcomings are. Like, the power of Jesus Christ, the power of the Spirit of Jesus Christ is in us and working in us. And with that, like, what, do you, what else do you need? We have each other and we have the power of God. And so as we head to communion, I just want to invite you to, like, pray about that with each other. Talk about that with each other. It's a blessing to be able to, like, know every single person in here. And to know that there's someone in here who you can go to and say, hey, I know you know this about me. I want you to pray for this. Like, you know me better than anyone. Will you just pray for me? Um, so, that's the plan. Um, after a little while, Matt and Ferris will come up and lead us in another song of worship to kind of close. But um, thanks for indulging my whiteboard today, y'all. Uh, I hope it was fun. Um, it was fun for me, at least. So, um, that being said, I will pray for us, and then we'll head to communion. Does that sound like a plan? Yeah? Rad. Well, I'll finish racing this, and then we'll pray. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you. Um, thank you that, like, Paul prayed this for the church, and that, like, in other places in Scripture, we see that, like, there are still people praying this on our behalf, interceding for us when we can't see them interceding. Um, and so, yeah, we just thank you that, like, there is so much that you have covered that we didn't even think to know that we would need. <laughs> Like, you're just that good. And so um, I pray you would use, like, use your Holy Spirit to inspire us to actually, like, step out a little bit and to ask for prayer and to pray for things specifically with each other and to share with each other vulnerably in this time. And so, um, yeah, Jesus, help us to not waste moments like this. We love you. pray these things in your name. Amen.